In Genesis chapter 22, if you'll turn there in Scripture, it's gonna, we're going to use Genesis 22 as a launching pad for what it looks like to experience God to the full. Abraham in this passage is going to do something that seems unthinkable. And because he actually lives by faith, God shows up and he has his name written not just in the Old Testament, but will be written in the New Testament in the Hall of Faith. Let's look at Genesis chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. You guys ready to study God's word? 1130. I can tell. Yeah, we're ready. Excited to do this. Oh, man, I got to pause. You know, sometimes church is just fun. Isn't church just fun sometimes? Dave Rothenberg, who's standing up with Angela Joseph, got engaged last night. Congratulations, you guys. I know, I thought Dave was going to, like, propose over a bag of chips or something, but, dude, you went all out. A romantic, he got an airport hangar for a private dinner, candlelit, uh, hosted by Chef Tenoria Askew for Master Chef. Well, anyway, congratulations, guys. We're so pumped and excited for all of you. That has nothing to do with what I'm about to talk about, so. Here we go, verse one. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, if you want to underline or circle that, highlight that on your Bible app, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. What? Like, some of you, you've been Christian so long, you read that, you didn't think twice about it. He just told him to kill his son. The passage that we're looking at requires us to go, what in the world is going on here? Now, for those of you that go, why? In the, that's, see, that's the angry God that I know about. Wait till we get to the end. You're going to see throughout this passage, God is setting the stage, not just for what happens in Abraham's life and the provision he will provide, but for what he will do almost 2,000 years later through the sacrifice of his only son, Jesus, and how he's actually preparing for 2,000 years for this moment in time where he's not just going to save Isaac, he's going to save all of humanity. That's at the heart of what we're going to end with this morning. But continuing on to verse 3, early the next morning, Abe got up and loaded his donkey. He took with them two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, if you want to underline your circle, on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. Did you catch that? Put it on his back to carry up the mountain. That's important. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. He put the wood on his boy's back and he just took like the torch and the knife. Kind of got the easy way out here, didn't he? As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb? Underline or circle lamb for the burnt offering. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abe built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Will you pray with me? God, we pause for just a moment and we acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit with us right now. God, some of us, we've been Christians so long, we don't know what it would be like to experience you to the full again. 
Abraham here in this passage is going to do the unthinkable, and yet you're going to protect Isaac and keep him from being killed. And instead, it's going to create this incredible spiritual moment that will be written about for generations upon generations. And so we pause and we pray wherever we're at spiritually, for the atheist or agnostic that is in the room right now or watching online or those questioning the things of faith, God, we started this church for people just like that. God, speak to us right where we are this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen. Have you ever experienced like a a God moment before? Like where you just couldn't deny like God was real and he was in your life. I remember when I had this prayer moment and God showed up and told us to move from Southern California to start a church in Indiana, and three friends of mine from high school were going to help us, one who wasn't a Christian and one who was working at Entertainment Tonight, I thought it was crazy. And yet sometimes it's only when we follow the irrationalness of God that we get to see him show up. And I could never deny that God was really there and really calling us. It was a defining moment for me spiritually, but not all God moments are like that, are they? See, I can remember when I was 19 years old, and I was young and free. Anybody remember when you used to be young and free? Any 19 years? That was awesome, wasn't it? I'd just become a Christian. God was changing my life. I said, I'm going to start living life to the full in 4K instead of by standard definition. Use my life, God. So rather than going out and getting a nice paying job in the summertime, I went and worked as an intern. And I ended up at a Christian camp in the eastern Tennessee with a bunch of people I didn't know working as a camp counselor for a couple of weeks. Met some great people there, and we were running a junior high camp. Have you ever been to a junior high camp before? You want to talk about sacrificing for the Lord? That's some real sacrifice for those of you, thank you, that run our middle school ministry. Uh, Mercy Students, one of the fastest growing areas, so cool and thankful for those leaders. But man, I remember doing that and, and living on mission like that for God. I began to see God show up in my life. And I went away from that camp just like, oh, man, I love you, God. And you ever have those moments where you know God is so real and you have the joy of the Lord in your life? And I was driving back, and I was in the middle of nowhere in Tennessee, and I saw the state park. And so I pulled the car over. I went into the state park. I took about an hour hike back in the middle of nowhere, and I found this lake where there wasn't a single person out there. You ever been in God's creation before? And it's just like you know how real he is. And I had this moment, I looked around, nobody's looking, and so I went and I jumped off a cliff like a big rock, I did a big cannonball, baby, and then I floated around in there for about the next 30 minutes to an hour, just worshiping God by myself. It was awesome. It was like, God, this is what heaven must be like. I love being in your presence. Thank you for your... You ever have a God moment like that? It's just, I want more of that. Of course, some of you are going, well, yeah, that's real great when you're 19 years old and young and free. What about me? I'm like, I got to go get a job. And some of you 19 years old, you're trying to just survive, right? And then others of you, you're trying to, in your 20s, you're trying to make your career and trying to settle down and find all these things that you're supposed to find. And then other people get married before you and they're posting it all over social media. That's just not fair. And then some of you, you finally get the life that you've been dreaming of and then you have children, And then you're like, I cannot remember the last time I slept through the night. And it's been like 20 years. And you're trying to like send your kids off to college, some of you, and pay for that stuff. Like it's getting crazy. And then you're trying to go, well, how am I ever going to retire? And before you know it, 
This life to the full that we're all describing, well, I'm going to heaven when I die, but for now, I'm just trying to survive. You've been there? And I find for so many of us, we give up dreaming. We give up truly living. What do I mean by truly living? The type of life when you get done, you look back and go, I wasn't perfect, but man, I got to experience God at work in my life. Use me, Lord. Life to the full. Not a standard life as the culture would have me live where I please others, but I want to please you. Give me life in 4K. Give me that type of experience that you promised. If that's you, I, I want to encourage you to begin to take some action this morning. Told you it's going to be a challenge. Try and keep notes as we move fastly. If you were to take the next 90 days, the next 90 days, and you were to live it in 4K, if you were to live 90 days in 4K, what would that look like? I'm going to give you just a few points from Genesis chapter 22 of what it would take to fully experience God. I'm going to warn you, these first couple ones, none of us like. <laughs> That's why we don't experience God that much sometimes. And the first one was this. It would take sacrifice. It would take sacrifice. In Genesis 22, Abraham never has this great story to be told if he wasn't willing to sacrifice the very thing that was most important to him. If you want to experience life in 4K to the full, it's going to take sacrifice. If you're unfamiliar with what the word sacrifice means, the Merriam-Webster definition of it is destruction or surrender of something for the sake of something else. That you would sacrifice something for the Lord in order that he could use your life more and you could live fully for him. If Right now, if you were going to see God show up over the next 90 days more in your life, what would you have to surrender and sacrifice to him? It's probably the very thing you don't want to think about. That's the reality of seeing God show up. But I believe in the New Testament and the Old Testament, every person who accomplishes something great must learn the discipline of sacrifice first. Every person who tries to accomplish something great must learn the discipline of sacrifice first. And that's the hard point. You see, Abraham, he'll get his name, not just in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. These are like the, the great uh, men and women of the Bible who really lived life so to the full, they had to write it down 2,000 years later. Abraham has it in uh, chapter 11, verse 17, because of what occurs in Genesis 22. It says this, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice, who had embraced the promises, was about to sacrifice his one and only son. See, don't mistake that Abe like, didn't like his son or something. He'd already sent Ishmael away. This was his only son that was left. He was so excited and couldn't believe that God showed up when he was born. They named him Isaac, which means laughter, because Sarai had been barren for years. And now the promise that God will make his descendants as many as the sand on the seashore is all at stake, it would seem, when God asked him to sacrifice Isaac. Verse 18, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Get this. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. So in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. You have to be willing to trust God enough to sacrifice some of the things that are the most important to you in this life. Think about it for a second. The other people in Hebrews chapter 11, people like Noah built the prehistoric Titanic, stuffed two of every animal on it because he believed God was going to flood the earth and save them. That took some sacrifice on his part. Moses, 
He has to go in and tell the, the, the great powerful Pharaoh to let his people go or God's going to do something. And then he has to believe God's going to bring the plagues. And then when they all hundreds of thousands of Israelites leave the land of Egypt, they get to the Red Sea. Pharaoh and his army is coming to kill and destroy them. And he has to believe that God is going to part the Red Sea, right? Like Joshua in Joshua chapter 10, he has to believe that God is going to make the sun stand still to give them victory and battle. It takes sacrifice on our part, trusting that God is going to show up. What would sacrificial faith look like in other areas of your life that you want to live to the full, to live in 4K? What would it look like in your marriage? Right now, not for your spouse, but for you. What would sacrificial faith look like in your marriage right now? You want to experience life to the full in the area of maybe your finances or with your kids or in the ministry that you're praying God really uses. What would sacrificial faith look like where God would have to show up? That's what Abe is doing here. He's believing that. Number two, he had to take sacrifice, but number two, it would take preparation. This may be the hardest part. None of us like this at all. It would take preparation. Look at verses three to five with me in Genesis 22. If, if you think about this, this is maybe the craziest part of the verses. Early the next day, Abe got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he sent out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. And you go, well, yeah, that's what he should do. That's what you do. You follow God. No, 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 no. Like, if you're about to murder your son, right, wouldn't you go, because picture what he does. He's sitting there, taking his time, doing what the Lord asks, loading up the donkey with the very things that he's going to go sacrifice his son with, tear down your eye, right? And then he turns, and rather than going, oh, son, this is going to be difficult for you, he says, hey, take some wood, put it on your back. Help yourself carry this up the, the hill, the mountain for him. And then get this, if you're about to commit murder, would you invite two servants to come and witness it? Right? I'd be like, no, you stay at home because what am I about to do? I don't want anybody to see. Why does he do those things? Well, we know from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 to 19, he believes that God could even raise the dead. He believes God's going to do something miraculous here. He trusts and he is preparing. He is living in that moment as if God is going to show up because he knows the character of God and he doesn't have to question it. He knows he never uh, not fulfill his promises. He fulfills his promises. And so in this passage, he's not preparing as if the murder is going to occur. He's preparing as if God is going to show up. Are you preparing in your life as if God is going to show up in the very things that you're passionate about? See, I find a lot of times we want to see God show up. We want to see the Red Sea part, but nobody wants to be standing at the edge of it when Pharaoh comes to kill you, right? Right? Like that would take preparation on our part to really believe that God is going to free us in that moment. We don't want to prepare for the difficult parts of following the Lord sometimes. We want to experience more of God in our lives, but we want to have an awesome marriage. Right? I've never met somebody who's getting married. It's like, I really hope I have a mediocre to below average marriage. Really, that's what I've been longing for. No, we say, yeah, I want an awesome marriage. But most people, we don't want to prepare for it. If you're single out there right now, and we got a ton, I mean, that's one of the great areas of our church, ton, ton of you in that, that dating category right now, are you preparing for a healthy marriage now? 
That's part of the idea. God wants you to have an incredible sexual life, but he wants you to prepare for that now by honoring him in your sexual life. That's part of the preparation, right? For those of you that are uh, considering getting engaged or married, preparing through premarital counseling is something uh, we encourage every couple to do. I don't care how strong of a Christian you are. In fact, uh, we require it when we do weddings. And so uh, preparing for premarital counseling is not just showing up either. It's being vulnerable and honest when you show up there. I can't tell you, you may think this is the norm. It happens all the time. The 20, 21, 22, 24-year-old who shows up to premarital counseling and they're like, you know, we've already talked about all this stuff already and we've already read the book and I'm pretty sure by reading the book, this can't be that hard. <laughs> right? Like, I just, I, the inside of me, I want to go, you're right, reading the book is exactly like experiencing it. And then you get into marriage, and this isn't a knock on any young people, this is how I was. And then you get into marriage a couple years, and then you turn around, and you're like, oh my goodness, experiencing this is way different. And it's harder. And so beginning to pray, prepare as part of it is having the humility to say, God, I don't have everything figured out. Prepare my soul, my mind, my life to live fully for you and experience you in my marriage. It includes preparing in your areas of your finances. See, I meet people all the time and go, man, I really want God to make me rich because once I'm rich, then I'm totally, dude, I'm totally, like God's going to bless me and then I'm going to bless others. Amen? Amen? Like if he just blesses me, then I'm totally going to bless others. And I often want to ask, were you blessing people now? Well, no, <laughs> that's what's the idea. I got to get the money first, and then I will begin to live as a blessing to others in my life. And I, and I think we kind of got that backwards, you know, because in the New Testament, Jesus says that those who don't hide and sulk away, uh, but actually go and try and double and ask God to use their time, talents, and treasures to use their life are the ones that he entrusts with more, right? In fact, here's the, the scary part. It's not just in the Bible, like psychologists often say that having wealth or money does not, will not necessarily make you a generous person. In fact, it might make you the opposite. In the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, a group of researchers wrote this, whereas lower class individuals may give more of their resources away, upper class individuals may tend to preserve and hold on to their wealth. If you didn't catch that, according to this psychological study, now there are others that give different nuances of this, but this one believed that actually by becoming more wealthy, it actually made them harder to be a generous person. It went on, this differential pattern of giving versus saving among upper and lower class people could serve to exacerbate, I love that word, economic inequality in society. That the more we have, the more we feel like we need. I want to tell you that... Um, We've got some amazing people in our church who have been super generous, including wealthy people who just love the Lord and they're not living for here and now and they're living for eternity. But this is a temptation for all of us. So if you want a healthy marriage, begin to prepare for that now. Become the person God wants you to be. If you want a, a healthy financial situation, begin to live and honor God in, that, in your life now and not just wait until something changes if you want healthy kids in your life, begin to parent the way now that you desire. Ask God to prepare your mind and heart to parent in a way that honors people and honors him. What would that look like in your life? We're beginning to pray now as a church and prepare for our Saturday services that will be starting on August 19th, baby. 
And Pastor Dana Byers is putting together a launch team right now because we're not just going to have this idea. We're going to prepare and plan for it. When I first started dating my wife uh, in California, I had met her and I asked her out about 40 times and she said no every time. Some of you might think I'm a stalker, but like she would giggle when she would say it. So I knew I was in. So I just kept asking. And one day I broke her down, her willpower down, and she finally said yes. Now, when I finally got her to go out with me, when I was preparing for the date, I didn't just like wing it, right? Because I wanted this to happen. I was preparing as if she's actually going to like me and this is going to lead to something. So I, I began to play. We went on like five dates in one day. I took her to the beach that day. We went horseback riding. We went uh, to like this big fancy Broadway show. We went to a fancy steak dinner. We went to dessert afterwards. I was broke, but I made it happen <laughs> because I was preparing. Like I want her to see this. Now I totally tricked her and never did it again in marriage, but <laughs> it worked, right? So like if you're preparing to live life of 4K, experience God fully, you have to begin to prepare your soul now. It doesn't just happen. Like if we're not studying God's word, diving into it and preparing my mind and heart and soul in a way that God could use me, it's probably never going to happen. That's the hard part. Abraham didn't just wake up one day and go, yeah, okay, God told me to sacrifice my son, I'll do it. He first had to experience God making his barren wife have a child and they named him Isaac, which meant laughter because they couldn't believe we had a kid. Like he saw God repeatedly, smaller acts of faith. God shows up, leads to greater acts of faith, leads to greater acts of faith. The same is true for Joshua and Moses and all the other people in the hall of faith. Are you preparing? Number three, if you want to live life in 4K, the next 90 days, it would take action. You see in verses six through 10, Abraham didn't just prepare. When he got there, he was ready to do the deed. Puts the wood out there, ties his son down, gets the knife out, the whole deal. Couldn't imagine what that would be like. Sometimes action of all of this is the most difficult part, right? Like you can prepare to spend time in God's word And then when you get up in the morning, you're tired. You're like, I'd rather sleep another 15 minutes. The action sometimes is the most difficult part. And don't mistake that Abraham, that this was easy for him to take action. G.J. Wenham, a British scholar, writes this. Abraham was unaware that his trial was a test. For him, it was just real life. Right? Like, you don't think about that God is actually using this in some way. These are are real-life situations. And Abraham was torn between his faith and the divine promises that his descendants would be as many as the sand on the seashore, and the command that promised to nullify them between his affection for his only surviving son and heir and his love for God. He had to decide between his love for his son and his love for God. Have you ever been torn between your love for God and your love for something else? See, the reality is when there's anything in our life that we love more than the Lord, that is a form in the Old and New Testament of idolatry. I mean, that's by definition pretty much what it is. We give that our worship instead. In this case, I find it ironic here in Hamilton County in North Indianapolis where he, his idol is actually his child. Could probably speak to a lot of our families in this area. But that aside, he struggles here with this big moment, and I can understand it because it would be hard for any of us but he's actually going to walk through and begin to take the action and do what God has asked of him as difficult or irrational as it sounded. Do you think you could do it? 
Let me answer that question, no. <laughs> right? Like, I can't imagine most of us could ever walk in this way and live in this way. And yet Abraham, I believe, gives us a lesson to all, and I believe that none of us will ever have to do that, and I'll explain that at the end. But he was willing to take the action to make the sacrifice, prepare and take action in a way that only God could show up. I want to challenge our church. See, when we first started this church five and a half years ago, I mean, we were just meeting in our home, like in a small Bible study, and we just genuinely believed God was going to show up. And the best things that ever happened to this church wasn't because of some professional Christians on a stage or because of some, you know, one particular family. It had 100% to do with we believed God was real. He was living and active, and he cared more about human beings than we did. And when we began to trust him in the small things that led to the bigger things and the greatest things that ever happened in our church always happened not because we planned them to happen, but because God just showed up. I don't know about you, but I can't wait for this next 90 days. I can't wait to get back here in August when my wife and I return and see the fulfillment of what we preached the very first Sunday of this year in our Vision Sunday, that God is enough. He's enough. It's not about a person or a group of people. It's about the Spirit of God using us as community on mission. Worship, or excuse me, a church is not a worship service. Church is community living on mission to make an impact in the world. That includes our worship service, includes our outposts, includes our discipleship huddles. We follow Jesus up in and out. We are rooted in Christ. That's the vision, and it's been the vision since day one. And when I, th- I think about that, it requires us to genuinely believe God is going to show up. And so this next 90 days, would you join me in pressing into the Lord more than we ever had? Because I'll tell you, things got a lot more comfortable around here the last year and a half. We used to meet in a, a building that was 5,000 square feet, and we ran five services there. We had whole families sitting with their children on the floor because we didn't have seats we, we experienced sacrifice from people of their time, talents, and treasures. I, I won't even begin to describe. Now, today, we've, we've got like a staff, like people who are paid to do ministry. We've got like awesome uh, social media and online campus and student ministry and kids ministry and all this stuff. It's amazing. God is using that. But we will never be run by the professional Christians as long as the group that is here is here. We won't do it because in the New Testament, you don't see that. You see God showing up. And so we're going to press in and we're going to ask God to show up. I'm going to challenge every person, not just a few of you, to take the 90-day challenge with me. The 90-day challenge to pick this up, a Bible, and read it. See, I've been doing this long enough. I know many of you have been Christian for decades and you've never read the entire Bible. I want to change that. I want us each to see that we can all be leaders for Jesus in our culture today. That for us to do the vision that we've had that I'm going to share in a moment over the next 90 days and over the next year and a half, it will only happen if the hundreds of people who have begun attending services here in the last six months or a year and a half get plugged in and find a place to live on mission for Jesus. Say, I don't want to just attend a church, I want to be the church. And I know it's going to happen because it's happened for the last five and a half years. Right now, we've got these Bibles out at our Connect Center this morning. It's the 90-day Bible. You can literally read the entire Bible in 90 days by reading 12 pages a day. There's a little checklist for you type A's at the beginning of the Bible. You could mark every day off. It's actually only 88 days. You get two freebies, okay? 
You can pick those up. The face value on the back of the, of the Bible is $20. We got them for cheaper. We're not going to make any money. We're selling them for $10 out in the lobby today. And you can actually purchase it um, there. If you're like, I don't have $10 and I'll never be able to afford that, then we'll give you one for free because we want you to have it. To press into the Lord and you're like, Josh, uh, I don't carry around old school books like that. Well, then you can download the Bible app on your phone and there's a 90-day Bible reading plan on the Bible app you can download. If you're like, Josh, I don't like to read. You can press this button on your Bible app and a British woman will read it to you. (laughs) If you're like, Josh, I don't like British accents. You can download, you can actually get online and purchase the Bible experience and Denzel Washington will read it to you. If you don't like Denzel's voice, I'm not sure you're Christian. Like you can experience it and press in. And so the 90 day Bible challenge that starts this Wednesday, begin to press into that. I want to give you another one because maybe for some of you, you want to grow in another area and you want to take the 90 day tithe challenge. We've done this a few times in our church. There's a card in your program that looks like this. Go ahead and pull that out for just a moment. And I want to tell you, as you're pulling that out, if you're new to this church or you haven't attended here for long, uh, we're not after your money. I don't care if you ever give a dime to the church. I'm sharing this for spiritual reasons. If this is your church home and you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, I believe that one of the things that Jesus taught about most in the New Testament was learning to trust God in the area of your finances because it is a spiritual growth pattern. And the word tithe, it doesn't mean giving, it means 10%, the first, not the last 10% of your resources, and trusting that God will do more with 90% than you would have done with 100%. Seems irrational, and that's what it's like following Jesus sometimes, kind of like Abraham in this passage. And as a young adult, I used to sit there and hear pastors say that. I go, oh, this guy's so full of junk. I don't want to listen to this here after. Look, seriously, like give the money somewhere else. I don't even care. I just want you to, to try it, to experience it, and see what it's like to live on mission for him in that way. And if you're like, well, I want to try it, and I want to commit the first 10% here at, at Mercy Road, we actually will do this. If you fill this card out and you turn it in in the basket on your way out or at the Connect Center, if at the end of the 90-day tithe challenge you go, that was horrible. That was the worst idea. I'm never doing that again. I don't even like any of you people anymore. We will actually, we've done this before, we will give you the money back. <laughs> we're, not, we're not after it. Like, I just want you to try trusting God in this area because you'll be amazed. In the last six years of my life, since before we started the church, this is where I've seen God grow my personal faith the most. And it's fun because you can't deny it when sometimes you don't know how you're going to make it and then God just shows up. And it makes you go, God is so real and living and active. I want to be used by him. Put yourself in a position where, number four, it would take God's provision. See, Abraham is willing to make a sacrifice. He's willing to prepare. He's willing to take action. And then he trusts that God will actually provide. Look at verses 11 to 14. It says this. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abe, Abe, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket, He saw a ram. They'd been praying for a lamb of God caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. That it requires us to ask God to show up. 
Because as I began to describe some of those things in your sexual life, in your marriage, with your kids, with your finances, with your job or your career, you say, I would love to live life to the full, but that all that sacrifice and preparation and action, I just don't think I'm wired that way. I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, that's great for the professional Christians, but not for, I want to tell you this. You see, Abe in this passage will experience something. And I heard a pastor this week, uh, actually a week ago, describe uh, trapeze artists. You know trapeze, like the gymnasts that swing back and forth and they let go and they fly across this giant room. They grab the arms of another person on the trapeze. And that pastor was describing how it was probably difficult to let go, but much more difficult to be the one catching the person flying through the air. Because you had to prepare and leave just at the right time and sacrifice the time to get it right and, and take the action at just the right moment. And sometimes in our lives as we're following Jesus and we're trusting God to show up, it can feel overwhelming like impossible, like, God, I don't see how that could possibly happen. It could feel a little bit like this right here. (laughs) Any of you feel like that sometimes? It's easy when you don't have any responsibilities, but God, I can't do this. And it's only in those moments where we trust only God could provide a way where, God, you're going to have to show up like Moses trusted the Red Sea would part, like Joshua and the sun standing still, like Abraham, that he was going to provide a way out of sacrificing his own son here in Genesis 22. If we can do it ourselves, then our vision must not be big enough. I've talked to so many people that are considering Christianity or being a Christian And they say, if you can explain with 100% rationality why I should believe this, then I will. And I just want to tell you, why do you think that you could possibly 100% comprehend an all-powerful God that created the universe and knitted you together in your mother's womb? How do we possibly think that we could understand? His ways aren't natural. They are supernatural. They won't always seem rational to us. Sometimes they will seem irrational. Koa sacrificed my son? Uh-uh. But we don't know the end of the story. See, the story wasn't just about that one experience that Abraham is going to have. It's about communicating to all of us today what it's like to follow Jesus and trust that he's going to show up in our lives. See, Paul put it like this in the New Testament. He said... If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. When you trust God enough that he's going to have to show up, it's going to seem irrational. It's going to seem crazy. I want to read that 2 Corinthians 5.13 one more time. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. What would it look like the next 90 days if you lived out of your mind? out of your mind for the Lord because you were so passionate in him. They'd have to show up. I guarantee you would see him show up more. I guarantee you would experience him more. You would experience the fullness that he has for you in this life. He parted the Red Sea, made his son stand still. He brought Lazarus back from the dead. He can handle the ugliness in your marriage, in your family, at work, the problems with addiction, the problems that you're struggling with, the loneliness, the anxiety, and the worry. He can handle it. He's big enough. He's powerful enough. And it takes us being willing to say, okay, God, use this. And it takes effort, and it takes sacrifice and preparation. It it takes us taking action, but putting ourselves in a position where God has to show up. But did did you miss it? Did you miss it? You see, this isn't just about what happened 2,000 years before the time of Jesus. This had to be pointing to the point where Jesus was to come. In verse 4 of Genesis 22, it says that this only son, 
that all of this happened on the third day. On the third day. It says in verse 6 that the son carried the wood on his back up the mountain. I remind you of anyone. Jesus, as he takes the cross, it says, don't lay a hand on the son, my only son, because there's only one only son who will be given as a sacrifice, and it will pay for all the mistakes of humanity for all of time so that you could know God and live with him eternally. It says that a ram will take his place, that this animal will get what we deserve, and he gives it as a picture. They've been asking for a lamb. When John the Baptist sees Jesus, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. You see, when you trust God's provision and you put yourself in a situation where God has to supply, he shows up. We're always going to live like that as a church. You see, we're preparing and praying now for Saturday night services to take off. And we're going to add a fourth service, two on Saturday, two on Sunday. We run out of space on Sunday. We're going to add a third service on Sunday morning. We run out of five services. We're going to start a campus We've been praying about now as early as August of 2018 about going and starting a campus east of here. We don't know if it'd be Fishers or Geist or, or McCordsville or Fortville or Lawrence. Or we, we don't know right now, but we're praying. And I'm sharing all that with you because I'm about to go be gone for 90 days. And when I get back, I want to tell you if we believe that he is enough and this isn't based off of professional Christians, we'll actually come back and see how much God actually exponentially advanced his kingdom when a human being gets out of the way. Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world, that we can know the Almighty God, the creator of the universe. We could be used by him. He is enough. All of that vision that I just cast for you, it hinges on the next 90 days. May you be coming here a while, and it's time to get involved. It's time to get out of the seat and say, God, use my life. I want to live life in 4K to the full. I'm not going to lead to standard definition life anymore. I'm yours. My time, my talents, my treasures, they are yours. Will you pray with me? God, I love this church. I feel so thankful that I get to be a part of this, God, that this has been the work of a number of people for many years, and it's just the start. And God, I can't wait to get back and see how you use every single person in this room to live life to the full in their sphere of influence. God, that there are some of us in the room right now that we have never trusted you in that way to actually expect you to show up Maybe there are some of us, we've known about you, but we've never truly committed our lives fully to you where we wanted to live fully for you. If that's you right now, I invite you to pray this silently as I pray it out loud. God, I confess I need you. I don't want to lead a standard life anymore. I want to live life to the full and believe that you're going to use my sacrifice, my preparation, and my action, and you're going to provide. And so right now, On this day, I surrender everything in my life to you fully. Use me, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name and all God's family said, amen.